Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Wednesday, October the 3rd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, a surprise cut at Dolphins camp. We'll break down the Jordan Phillips news, briefly review the all 22 notes from Sunday's drubbing, and officially turn that page. And in doing so, we'll talk to Locked On Bengals host James Rapine about the game on Sunday, including some key storylines and matchups to watch. And we'll close things up by talking about the Dolphins' big game failures over the years. And since we have so much to talk about today, let's go ahead and fly through these housekeeping items subscribe rate review follow me on twitter at wingful nfl the show at locked on fins check out lockedondolphins.com the number one blog in the locked on network and of course the other locked on sports family of podcasts and let's go that's another miami dolphins well we have a lead story that i had to add in as news broke late monday afternoon that the Dolphins would be releasing defensive tackle Jordan Phillips. Phillips went on Instagram to express his displeasure with the team, with the organization, and the coaching staff. This coming after an alleged tantrum on the sideline Sunday over playing time, which he could not be consoled by his teammates, coaches, or anybody else waving away help or people trying to calm him down. Phillips was slipping down the rungs of the defensive tackle rotation behind second-year standouts Devon Godshaw, and Vincent Taylor, as well as behind newcomer Akeem Spence, all three of which have played much better this year than Jordan Phillips. And with Phillips, the story has been the same as it was for the first three years of his career. An impact play, then a disappearing act for several series. He's had conditioning issues throughout his career, and the knock on him coming out of Oklahoma was his motor, which sounds like that has not gotten fixed in four years. Nonetheless, Miami spent a second-round pick on him, 52nd overall, and the truth is that he wasn't in this team's long-term plans, a free agent after this season. And lastly, as we've seen with Adam Gaze, he's not going to put up with malcontents, certainly not reserve players that are complaining about playing time when they are clearly being outplayed by those in front of them. Nobody is bigger than the team, and that certainly includes Jordan Phillips. On the season, Phillips had only two pressures on 69 pass rush reps. He had two tackles, both of which were for run stuffs, two yards or less, and two penalties. So that's 124 snaps, and he made an impact in the box score on four of those plays. According to Pro Football Focus, he was the 151st graded interior defensive lineman, 150th against the run, 78th as a pass rusher. So it's all good riddance for here, Mr. Phillips. The Dolphins, in reaction to this, have called up Cameron Malveaux off the practice squad to take his roster spot, which gives you five defensive ends and three defensive tackles. I have to imagine another move is on the horizon, possibly Kendall Linkford getting a call from the Dolphins here shortly. So the big news of the day, Jordan Phillips cut and done in Miami. And since that took up a decent chunk of the show, let's go ahead and move on to a brief film review of Sunday's drubbing in Foxborough. It'll be the last time we talk about it, then we'll bury it like the old coaching cliche, bury it in the dirt, get rid of it. Let's start off with the quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. He had the worst accuracy I think I've seen from him since early 2016, maybe back to 2015. He was just off on so many throws, was only on target with 60% of his passes. He's usually up around 83 
83, 84%. He missed three reads, three critical errors in the mental part of the game. He didn't look comfortable. Just not a good day for the Dolphins quarterback. His worst of the year by far, a terrible stat line, a terrible film review for him. So you can check out check out his passing chart up on LockedOnDolphins.com right now. The Dolphins' offense just ran too many complex route combinations right into the teeth of the Patriots' defense with no apparent concern for in-game adjustments or ways to adapt to what the Patriots were showing them, a bad plan on offense. You can't really evaluate the running backs in this game because the offensive line was terrible. Awful, awful showing in the running game. It was always someone getting knocked around or smoked by somebody, and nobody was exonerated for some embarrassing reps on the film. Dan Kilgore was truly awful before he got hurt. He was the biggest culprit for why this offense struggled up front in this game. As a whole, they allowed eight pressures on Tannehill's 22 dropbacks, some of those coming from Mike Kosicki, who was tossed around all day like a ragdoll. As far as the wide receivers go, Amendola and Grant got open a few times, but Kenny Stills himself had a pretty rough day, as did Albert Wilson. Just not a lot of one-on-one wins from those guys down the field. On the defensive side of the football, Vince Taylor and Cameron Wake were awesome. Minka Fitzpatrick and Jonathan Woodard were very good. Bobby McCain's interception was the best individual play I've seen this season from a Dolphin, but the rest was bad. Xavier Howard looked awfully human in this game. He got turned around on that touchdown pass. Looked like he was lost on the field there. TJ McDonald still doesn't understand angles at all. Torrey McTire isn't capable of playing at this stage of his career, in my opinion. Kiko Alonso got washed out far too often, even by a wide receiver on one play. McMillan's keys were bad in the running game. Matt Hawk sucked. The penalties that extended the Patriots' first two scoring drives were an absolute joke. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong in this game. Bury it. It's over. We're not going back to talk about it again. And with that, let's go ahead and turn the page to the Cincinnati Bengals in week number five. The Dolphins 3-1 travel to Cincinnati for a tough road test up in Cincinnati against the 3-1 Bengals with a red-hot offense that is near the top of the league in a bunch of major categories. And we're going to talk to Locked On Bengals host James Rapine here in a minute, but I had two directions I wanted to approach this game with, and I'm not sure which one I'm leaning more closely towards. Probably the negative, if I'm being totally honest. This is just a tough test for this Dolphins team. Let's start with that negative idea that the Dolphins are awfully banged up in a lot of key areas. Their depth is compromised. They got somewhat exposed in that Patriots game, although going back to the film makes me feel a little bit better about it because I think some of those errors are correctable, and I don't think they can play that bad again. They are weak in some areas that the Bengals can expose. If the game goes by matchups, the Dolphins will get ran out of the building. But the positive side is that for the Bengals, this is a sandwich game. They're coming off that thrilling win last week against the Falcons. They've got Pittsburgh next week. Could be a trap game for them. The public is awfully down on the Dolphins, which tends to benefit the underdog in that sense that they usually don't have back-to-back games after a big blowout like that one that's so bad the following week. So I expect to see a better performance from the Dolphins all the way around in this coming game. We'll finish the show by talking about the Dolphins' big game letdowns, but next we're going to talk to the host of the Locked On Bengals podcast, James Rapine, and we'll do that after a quick word from my bookie. And if you think you know the league or other sports in general, you have to check out my bookie. Because remember, it's not about who you're betting on, it's about who you're betting with. And that's why I always tell people to bet with my bookie. Trust me, they are the best bet you'll make all season. They've been in business for years have great reviews online, and their mobile site is easy to use. I would only recommend a service to my listeners that has been good to me. That's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie where you win and they pay. They have in-game live betting, over-under 
players on fantasy points scored and the most rewarding player perks in the business. And since my bookie is slammed with new bettors and wants to give everybody the best customer service possible, if you're willing to deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern time, they'll give you an additional $25 free play on deposits over $100. Join now and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar when using promo code locked on to activate that offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use the promo code LOCKEDON when creating your account to claim up to $1,000 in free play. And if you're willing to hold out until after 7 p.m., you can get an extra $25 free play by using promo code LOCKEDON25 for a free $25 at MyBookie, where you play, you win, you get paid. And welcome back into the October the 3rd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. It is Wednesday and that means it's time for another crossover podcast. And joining the show now is the host of the Locked On Bengals podcast, Locked On Reds podcast, and you can also find him on ESPN 1530 Cincinnati. He is James Rapine. James, what's happening, man? Not much, man. How you doing, Travis? I'm doing well, at least as good as you can after a 31-point drubbing in what was supposed to be a litmus test game for the team. Nonetheless, we move on to Cincinnati, as the famous saying goes. And we're talking with Joe, uh, with James about the Bengals today. And Miami enters this game, I guess, needing a win. I don't know. They're 3-1 and one atop the AFC East. But the first thing I wanted to talk to you about, James, was the medical heading into this game and what's the status on some guys like Joe Mixon, Billy Price, and even beyond that for Sunday's game for the Cincinnati Bengals? Yeah, let's, let's start with Billy Price, the Bengals first round draft pick. I don't expect him to play Sunday. I don't expect him to play the next couple of weeks. Trey Hopkins has filled in well at center and you haven't really noticed him. So his backup is performing well. The last thing the Bengals want to do is, is risk injury or, or rush Billy Price back and, as long as Hopkins is playing well, I think they'll let Price get good and healthy. Uh, so I don't expect to see Price this weekend. Uh, but Joe Mixon, Dolphins fans should uh, get excited because they're going to get the first dose of Joe Mixon. I think he's going to play this weekend. Everything I heard uh, sounded like he could have played last week against Atlanta. So if he was good to go against Atlanta and they just decided to hold him out to be uh, more of a precaution than anything physically bothering him, uh, and I expect him to play. He went through an extensive pregame workout on Sunday, liked what he saw uh, there. They liked what they saw from him. And then at the end of the game, when A.J. Green caught the game-winning touchdown with seven seconds to go, Joe Mixon sprinted down the sidelines and tackled A.J. Green right after uh, caught the touchdown. So Mixon looks healthy. I expect to see him out there. Um, as for other injuries, Brown returned last so he will uh, probably be out there again, even though I think he's less than 100%. Vontez Perfect isn't an injury, but uh, he's going to return to the lineup, I would expect, even though Marvin Lewis has been coy about it. Vontez Perfect's going to make his return this Sunday at Paul Brown Stadium. So uh, a couple guys returning for the Bengals this week against the Dolphins. Well, you mentioned Joe Mixon, and part of the problem the Dolphins had last week was an inability to make tackles. And Mixon certainly provides balance on the offense for the Bengals. And in the past, it has always seemed like the offense has basically gone as A.J. Green goes, but now that they have that balance, things seem better for them. What's the most unsung part of this successful offense this year in Cincinnati, in your opinion, James? Honestly, it's it's exactly that, right? Outsiders will look and they'll think, all right, well, it's A.J. Green and it's Joe Mixon and it's 
all of Giovanni Bernard, who's performed well. And he's got Tyler Boyd, who's leading the team right now in receptions and receiving yards. And John Ross is a, a former ninth overall pick, and he's made an impact so far. No, actually, you know what it is? Andy Dalton. Andy mm-hmm. Dalton is playing out of his mind right now. I think it's the best he's ever played ever. And he was an MVP candidate in 2015 through 12 games before he broke his thumb. But right now, he's just... He fits perfectly into Bill Lazor's offense. Who uh, he completely revamped the offense, and it's a brand new playbook for Andy Dalton. And he diagnoses, I would say, ninety-five percent of the plays and the defenses, et cetera, before the play. And he knows where he's going with the ball. And ninety-nine percent of the time, so far, it seems like he's gone uh, to the right option. I mean, Andy Dalton's making a, a lot of the right decisions. His numbers look good, and I understand. Part of that's because the NFL, a lot of these quarterbacks' numbers are looking better and better. Yeah. Um, but but Andy's performed well. Don't let the, the five interceptions fool you. A couple of those were on the wide receiver, and, and he really hasn't had many interceptions that I'd say were Andy's fault. Um, so Andy's playing very well, so I, I would start with him. And then they just have a, a bunch of weapons. I, they, they do. I mean, A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd. Uh, unfortunately, Tyler Eifert broke his ankle last week. He's out for the season and he will not play. Uh, so there's another injury update, I guess. But they have a couple other tight ends who are capable. And Tyler Croft and C.J. Uzama. So this offense, um, from top to bottom, is pretty good. And it starts and it ends with Andy Dalton and the way he's performing. Because it's no secret, the Bengals' offensive line is below average. And with him diagnosing plays and knowing where he's going to go with the ball and being able to, to read the defenses, et cetera, he's even had some rollout plays, which we haven't seen in the past, uh, that have worked out well. Downfield throws to Tyler Boyd, uh, where he rolled out and and did what he had to do to avoid the pass rush, which in the past, I feel like he would have just thrown it away. But instead, now he's making the plays necessary that some of the, the really good quarterbacks in the NFL do. So I'm really impressed with what I've seen from Andy Dalton through the, the first month of the year. Well, my next question was going to be about the Red Rifle himself, but you answered it there pretty clearly. And it seemed like last year he really came on once Bill Lazor took over the play calling. But then once again, the offense just kind of fell in shambles with the A.J. Green injury and kind of the Bengals' overall lack of, I guess, resources put into the offensive line. And you mentioned that it's an average group this year because they did make some good changes, obviously bringing over Cordy Glenn, Billy Price is now in-house, but the right side of that line remains a bit of a concern. How has Bobby Hart, and forgive me for forgetting the right guard's name, how has that right side of the line looked under Bill Lazor, and how has he mitigated their shortcomings? Yeah, I don't blame you for forgetting Alex Redmond's name. Uh, I don't (laughs) think a lot of Bengals fans uh, know it, but yeah, he's their right guard, and he's performed okay, Uh, Redmond has. he's, He's got a little nastiness to him. He's not afraid to um, be really physical, which is, I think is something that offensive line coach Frank Pollock likes. Uh, but he will have uh, big holding penalties. In their lone loss to Carolina, he had a holding penalty that negated a Mark Walton run in the red zone. And, and it bumped him on the way back and, and on the edge of field goal range. And it ended up in, in Randy Bullock missing a, a critical field goal in the fourth quarter. So uh, Redmond, I would say his weaknesses is sometimes he, there are penalties called on him. As for Bobby Hart, the right tackle, his weakness is he's Bobby Hart, the right tackle. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's just not a starting caliber right tackle in the NFL. Uh, now, there are times when he is okay, but man, there are also some times when he can just get, get beat up right away, get beat at the point of attack. And, and honestly, even Cordy Glenn has had his issues. He's dealing with a, a knee or he's played through it, but you can tell he's not moving as well as he normally does. 
uh, and that's bothering him a bit, uh, bothering him a bit. And he struggles with speed rushers. So if, if the Dolphins have any fast pass rusher, I put him right there at the end and have him go after both guys. And you can alternate right now. It's not like Cordy Glenn has been great. He's allowed, I believe it's 14 pressures this season, which is, um, which is a ton for yeah. him. And I think part of it is just because he is ailing uh, and because of that knee's bothering him a bit. But they don't have anyone behind him. So Cordy Glenn is an upgrade. This offensive line is better. But the, the whole key to it is Bill Lazor and Andy Dalton and getting the ball out of Andy Dalton's hand quickly. Um, diagnosing the play and knowing, okay, well, they're doubling AJ, so I'm not going to throw it to Green here, but Boyd's going to be open over the middle. And Andy's done a good job of knowing that. And then after that, let's say Boyd isn't open over the middle and he does get tricked, he, he's making a, a good decision with the ball. So that's kind of the Bengals' strategy, and it's worked so far. They're fourth in the NFL in points going into Sunday's game against the Dolphins, and uh, I expect to see uh, a lot of the same stuff that they've been doing through the first month. Well, that gives the Dolphins a little bit of hope, I suppose, on that side of the ball because their two edge rushers are known for their first step in Robert Quinn and Cameron Wake, and hopefully that can kind of yep. offset some of the advantages the Bengals have on the other side of the ball as we flip sides here because you guys are so loaded on the defensive front. We know the Bengals can win one-on-ones with Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, Carl Lawson, et cetera, et cetera. But what are they doing as far as a blitz or coverage disguise aspect of that defense that's really helped them out? Because those are the two things that really get the Dolphins kind of knocked off schedules, a good blitz and coverage disguises post-snap compared to pre-snap. Uh, I mean, to be honest, the, the Bengals defense has looked awful the past couple of weeks. Right. So the Dolphins, might it might be just what the doctor ordered. Uh, I, I think... Um, it's going to be interesting to see what Terrell Austin, the, the defensive coordinator for the Bengals, he's in his first year, what he does to react to the, the criticism and the poor play. They gave up on third down last week against the Falcons. The Falcons converted 11 of 15 third downs. Wow. 11 of 15. They are by far the worst defense in the NFL at getting off the field on third down. Uh, William Jackson came into the season as this lockdown corner that they thought – was just going to, and I thought this too, probably follow the, the opposing team's best wide receiver. He hasn't done that, and he's gotten beaten for three touchdowns so far this year. Um, I think teams are, are realizing how good he is uh, at streaks. Uh, you know, So if Kenny Stills is going deep, uh, William Jackson should be able to hang with him. He struggled some on some crossing routes and different things like that this year, and uh, it, it's, it's certainly hurting them. Dre Kirkpatrick, also a liability. Calvin Ridley destroyed him on a, a double move last week in Atlanta. Um, so this defense, it needs a shot in the arm. You're right. The defensive line has been good, but the secondary hasn't held up its end of the bargain, uh, at, at least through the, the first month of the year. The linebackers have been bad too. They've given up. They've got gashed by Christian McCaffrey for 184 yards in week three. And a big part was the line. It's perfect. I mentioned Preston Brown. Those two guys need to step up now that they'll be on the field together. Those are the two Bengals, uh, the Bengals' best two linebackers. Now, Preston Brown, he led the NFL in tackles last year. He's been dinged up for the, the better part of the season since week one. He needs to get closer to 100%, and they need him to play well. And then they need Vontez Perfect to show up in shape, and I'm not sure what kind of shape he's in right now. He's had his weight issues in the past. But if that defensive line is going to be fully unleashed, like a lot of us thought it was going to be. And I think it's their best position group from top to bottom. But they, they were limited. They only had one sack week three against Carolina. 
three last week against Atlanta. They gave up 36 points last week against Atlanta. Um, so if, if they're going to reach their full potential, they need the, the back and the, the linebackers and, and then the back end of the corners. And, and little guys to step up because right now they're one of the worst defenses. They go into Sunday the 29th, uh, allowing the 29th most yards um, in the league. So they're, they're 29th in yards allowed, excuse me. So it's, it's awful. They're the fourth worst uh, defense as far as yards go. So it, it's bad right now when you're talking about the defense. And here's the other thing, Travis. They haven't forced a turnover over the past two weeks, which is something Terrell Lawton was harping on about how they need to force turnovers. They need to force turnovers. Well, they have it the past couple of weeks, and it's led to uh, it's led to some worry, I'd say, amongst Bengals fans on, on the defensive side of the ball. Well, you guys might be able to get some pressure on the quarterback because our offensive line is super banged up now, and Ryan Tannehill has a propensity for fumbling the football. But, James, you've done a really good <laughs> job of answering my questions ahead of time, so I can go ahead and erase this next one I have for you, which leaves me with just two questions here. Are the Bengals fans worried at all about the possibility of this being kind of one of those sandwich games between a big win and the Steelers coming up next week? Yeah, I think so. And I think that that's the, the kind of talk that, that happens. I mean, among any fan base, but this Bengals fan base that is very leery of Marvin Lewis, still very leery of Andy Dalton and rightfully so. Um, so, yeah, I think that the Bengals, the first thing they can do to – uh, and it's easy, right? You just win and fans are going to buy in. But you get a huge win on the road, a win that I don't think I didn't expect, and I don't think most people expected you to to do, is win in Atlanta without your best linebacker, without your best running back, without your starting center. I mean, they're banged up. And they, they found a way to do it. They outscored the Falcons. The last thing you want to do is come home after three or four on the road to start the season and, and lay an egg against the Dolphins. So, yeah, I think for certain – that there are fans that are kind of leery about this game. I know just from a Vegas perspective, I think it had opened with the Bengals at five and a half point favorites. And I saw that and I was like, Oh, that is not a good sign at <laughs> all. If you're a Bengals fan. So yeah, a letdown game, it could be, it could be there. Now the, the additions and the returns of Joe Mixon and, and Vontez perfect should be enough to get this team excited um, because they're, they're three and one, right? They were seven and nine last year and six, nine and one the year before. It's not like they're the Patriots and they can be cocky because they're established. So uh, I think that this team should come in focus, but it'll be interesting to see if they do get caught looking back at their win or looking ahead to Pittsburgh next week. And the Dolphins are coming off a, a super blowout loss too, which usually kind of yields a return back to the norm. So for those reasons you mentioned and for the reason for the Dolphins, this game is really intriguing to me. So let's pick this game. What is your feeling on this Tuesday evening as we record this podcast? What is your expectation come Sunday? I think if the line's five and a half, I would bet uh, the Dolphins to uh, handle that. They'll, they'll cover that spread, or they'll um, they'll keep it within five. I think it'll be 24-20 Bengals. I, I think it'll be more of a, and you mentioned Cameron Wake and, and Robert Quinn. I think they're going to get after Andy Dalton a bit more. I, I think he's going to look a little more uncomfortable than we've seen him. But the additions of, of Vontez Perfect, he has a chance to be a, a game changer on that defense. I think they'll limit uh, the Dolphins offense a little bit more and get the necessary stop or the necessary turnover that they need to, to handle business at home. Here's the thing though, it, it locked on Dolphins listeners the, the past two, no, three weeks I've picked the game wrong. I've either <laughs> picked the Bengals to lose or picked the, the Bengals to win. And I've gotten them. I picked them to lose two out of the last three and they've won two out of the last three. And the one I picked them to win, they lost. So 
Don't don't take my word for it. Who knows? I might have just jinxed them. <laughs> it's pretty funny how that goes. Fortunately for me, I'm four and zero picking the games <laughs> this year, both against the spread and straight up. So I'm also picking against wow. the Dolphins this week. So I guess something has to give here, right, James? <laughs> but uh, hey, man, we really appreciate you doing yeah. this for us. These Crossover Wednesday podcasts are fantastic. He is James Rapine. That's at James Rapine on Twitter. That's R A P I E N. I could not figure out how to pronounce that at first until James told me. Once again, the host of the Lockdown Bengals <laughs> podcast, James. Thank you so much for doing this, man. Awesome, man. I appreciate you having me, Travis. Thanks. And more good stuff there from the Crossover Podcast. If I'm being honest, I actually feel a little bit better about this game after talking with James and some of the Bengals' concerns, particularly on defense. Hopefully this Dolphins offense can get right. We'll talk more about big game opportunities and some more roster moves on the other side of the podcast. But first, a word from our friends over at Vivid Seats. And by now, you guys know the best way to get out to see your favorite band, the way to get out to see the Miami Dolphins at Hard Rock Stadium is through Vivid Seats because we all love a night out. And with Vivid Seats, you can attend the concert, the show, or sporting event of your choice at a great price. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all the live events you want to go to. You can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice. And to make things even better, Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for new customers to receive $20 off orders of $200 or more to save even more money. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Use promo code Locked On for $20 off orders of $200 or more as a new customer of Vivid Seats. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee from the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and more. Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app and enter promo code Locked On for $20 off that order of $200 or more for new customers of Vivid Seats. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. Finishing up this busy Wednesday podcast, tons of news rolling in on Tuesday regarding this Dolphins team, roster moves, and all kinds of stuff pointing in a direction that maybe could be good, could be bad, as Jordan Phillips has been excused from the team. You guys know that. But as I recorded this podcast, we got some more news rolling in. Regarding roster changes, a couple more have happened. The Dolphins have signed veteran center Wesley Johnson to the team to play on the offensive line. He played with the Jets last year and, frankly, was terrible in playing there. They also signed defensive tackle Garrison Smith to the practice squad, so more changes coming for this team. And the next topic we're going to talk about here as we shift gears are talking about the big games and how Miami continues to fall flat, as well as the Patrick Mahomes effect from Monday night's game, Monday night's win in Denver. And you can say it's too early on him to proclaim him as as anything bigger than what he actually is. You can say he's a quarterback in a friendly offense, but the stuff we saw on Monday night's game is exactly what happens when an elite quarterback prospect takes the field. Things were not going the Chiefs' way. The Broncos had an excellent game plan and played about as good as you can on defense, yet he willed his team to victory. It was a big moment, and his play elevated just as the moment got bigger. But what about the Dolphins in these big games? It's been something of a problem for this team going back several coaching staffs, several regimes, several eras, and it's still the same under Adam Gaze. One of the big problems with the Dolphins in these big games is falling behind early, very little success on offense early in these games, and I actually have a fantastic tidbit that was provided to me by Kevin Dern, longtime friend of the podcast. He mentioned that the Dolphins under Adam Gaze's 37 games have trailed at halftime 
in 30 of those games. And typically in the big ones, they fall behind in all of those. And Sunday's game was about as bad as it gets. All areas of the team flat. They lose by 31 games. No question there. That was a horrendous showing. 2017 didn't really have any of those because the entire year was a joke. I guess the Ravens game could be construed as such. But that was with a backup quarterback on the road on a short week. 40 to nothing. Absolutely blasted in that game. Go back to the playoff year in 2016 against the Baltimore Ravens. I guess the playoff game, but once again, backup quarterback. The Baltimore Ravens game early that year, the Dolphins kryptonite. They put a beating on the Dolphins. But I would also argue the following week against the Arizona Cardinals was just as big and they handled business. They were dominating that game early on before Ryan Tannehill got hurt. And in fact, all those wins they piled up that year were big because they started off 1-4 and and had to have each and every one of those. Going back to 2015, again, not really a good year, so not really any big games. I guess the game in Foxborough on a Thursday night under Dan Campbell at 3-3 three and three with a couple of big wins right in the rearview mirror. Nonetheless, I don't think anybody expected a win there, so I won't really classify that one. The Dolphins got beat down in that game again. 2014 against the Denver Broncos, the defense squandered a mas- masterful performance by Tannehill in the offense and blew that game late. So that was kind of a whole team collapse there, although there was some very positive moments in that game. And then 2013 is the really big year, I suppose. This year had the look of some really promising big game moxie with Ryan Tannehill playing well in three consecutive wins at the Jets, at the Steelers, and at home for the Patriots. But then they followed that up with two absolute stinkers to close the year and miss the playoffs altogether. So trust me, guys, I'm aware of how painful this stuff has been. Miami always seems to shrink in the big moments, and that's why they have the reputation that they do. When they start winning some of those games, that narrative will finally change, and they have another opportunity right in front of them with these next two games. I think that people are going to apply the Bengals and Bears games as big games, and if they win both of them, get to 5-1, and one, everybody's going to forget about that Patriots game, and they will have these impressive wins in their back pocket. So the good news is that everything this team wants to accomplish is all in front of them. It's just up to the players to get the job done come Sundays. But as for this Wednesday podcast, guys, that is my time. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins and keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Yeah.